0: Okay, hi guys. Good morning. How are you guys doing today?
1: Great. Great. (laughs) Okay. So
0: I would just ask you to stand up and join us in worship. I have loved this song. It's just been really ministering. Um, Today, after a really hard week of um, losing a really good friend to COVID, and then I found out this morning that another one of our team has passed from COVID as well. So thank God for his gift of salvation and knowing that we can always run into his loving arms when things just seem a lot. So Sorry, I didn't mean to get emotional. But... um, we are so glad to have you here with us today. It is it is such a joy to be able to join together, isn't it? <laughs> with all of the, the challenges that we're facing um, with just health regulations and just COVID. And so, um, <clears throat> again, I've just been asked to remind each other uh, to make sure that we're continuing to follow those guidelines so that way we can meet together. Um, and if you could, um, as soon as We finish, um, move outside to do our socializing, um, so that way we can continue to be together. Um, For some other announcements, um, we are going, let me welcome visitors first. so yes, we are very glad to have you all with us. If this is your first time, if you are joining us online, it is such a great privilege. Um, and so just to get to know you, we would just love for you to um, share your name, where you're from. If you if, if you are moving here or just visiting, we would just love a chance to get to speak with you after the service. So if you don't mind just standing up, telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, we, would, we would love to get to know you a little bit more. So I'm going to start over here on my left, if there's Anyone, if this is your first week, yeah. Just <laughs> do you just tell us your name, where you're from, and how long you'll be here? I'm from Germany. Awesome. Well, it's very good to meet you. Thank you for being with us today. What's on that side? Okay, how about here in the middle? Hi! <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you speak, you speak. No, no, no. <laughs> Laura, Phil, oh yay! Welcome. And how long will you be here? Are you visiting or moved? Well we moved to Czech Republic, but we live on the other side, so we visit today. Okay. All right, well, yay, thank you for coming and making the trip all the way to the other side. (laughs) Great, anybody else? Hi. Hey, my name is Marcella. I'm from Slovakia. I'm visiting hospital now, and live in Brussels. Yay, well, that's a good triangle. (laughs) Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Awesome. Okay, I'm gonna have it on this side. Hi. Okay, well, welcome. So glad you could come visit. Anyone else? Okay, great. How about up in the balcony? Any new visitors up up top? Okay, hey, good. Well again, just so glad you can make it. If you're online and you wanna shout out and let us know where you're from, uh, we would love to greet you online as well. Um, so yes, now to share some um, exciting announcements. Uh, one is that we are going to be doing a, another Tippa event and our January TIPA event is uh, to get together and watch the documentary, Nefarious. Have any of you seen this film already? Um, would you not say th- I mean, yes, I'm gonna pressure you. Yes. Um, you can just nod your heads. Um, but to me, this was just such a powerful documentary because it really shows, um, a, it talks about sex trafficking in four different continents. You get to hear the stories from those who have been trafficked, but also from the traffickers and the purchasers of sex. So it really does this huge, um, kind of like 360 view of the topic. Um, as well as just hearing uh, how how God has redeemed them um, from each of these different aspects. And so if you see nothing else, if you come to nothing else, I would really encourage you to come to this if you have an interest in the topic. So please, um, reserve your spot using that tipacheckia at gmail at gmail.com. Um, it's going to be this Saturday, this coming Saturday, um, and we'll meet at eight o'clock, uh, 6 o'clock, 1800 always get confused with military time. Um, So yeah, so if you can do that, that would be amazing. We're also going to be having baptisms come up, um, and that's going to be on January 23rd. So next weekend's a great weekend. Um, And so if you are interested in being baptized, please contact one of the elders as soon as possible. They'll just want to talk with you, uh, probably hear your testimony, and then just talk to you about what will happen with the baptism and what it means and signifies. So if you are interested, please contact them. And then also, um, our treasurer and you know elders and the financial team are so grateful for all of the gifts and donations. Um, but as they are prepping for the tax documents, if you have made a donation, um, please uh, let the financial team, they want to know where to send the 2021 donation statements. So there is a link in the newsletter. If you haven't yet clicked on that and looked over things, please take some time to do that. Um, and. When you do that, please include your email address on at least one donation this year so the finance team can contact you if necessary. So that would just be a great help to them um, if you can just take that moment to do it. If you don't get the newsletter, you can contact uh, office at icprog.cz, is it CZ? Um, And they can get you added to the newsletter and send you the previous newsletter to get that link. So I think that is all of the announcements. So um, let's continue to worship together today in song.
2: Just like to invite you all to stand again. seated.
0: So would you please join me in prayer. Father God, we do thank you that you are the one who never leaves the one behind. Lord, I thank you that you did choose to sacrifice yourself for us on our behalf, to pay the debt we could never pay, to give us an opportunity to be reconciled with the Father. And all of that is motivated for love for us. Or there are days I just don't get my mind wrapped around that. Um, I know me. (laughs) I know how hard it is to love me. Um, I know all the things that. I do that are dumb and stupid, and and Lord, we're all like that, Um, but you love us. You love us all, and I thank you that you offer this gift of salvation free to those who will believe, who will exchange their desire to try to earn their eternal life for the free gift of grace. So, Lord, I pray that, that you will remind us of this today. I pray that it will just seep into our bones your love for us and your grace. And Lord, I pray that um, as we, as, as this reminder for me at least this week has just been how quickly our lives are over, our lives are just a vapor. Lord, let us not take these days for granted and and help us to be bold, to speak as we ought to speak, to share this great news with those around us. Because there are so many around us, Lord, that are perishing, that don't have a relationship with you, who are not ready to meet eternity. So Lord, I pray that this week that you will give us opportunities and that we will be faithful to take advantage of those opportunities to share about your love, to share about your gift of salvation. And I pray that those that we have built relationships with and that we've been around, Lord, that their hearts will be open to this truth and that they will be drawn into saving faith with you before it's too late. And Lord, for those of us that that do know you, Lord, I thank you that we don't have to fear death. Um that all it is for us is passing from this mortal life into your loving arms forever in heaven. And so, Lord, we can just kind of look at death and say, oh, death, where is your stink? Um, Because death is swallowed up in victory for those who know you, Father God. And so I just pray. of us that are grieving. And I thank you that we don't grieve without hope. We have hope of seeing them again. But I just know that it is a struggle. So I just pray for the Hoover family and the Dole family, um, the Hoover family who lost both their parents the same day, and the Doles who just lost their mom. Lord, will you be their peace? Will you be their comfort today and the days to come? And may you be our comfort as we as we grieve as well? And just thank you for the witness and the test of the testimony of their lives, Lord. I pray that our lives will be a testimony as well, Lord. I just also think of others who I know who have been suffering with various health issues this week. Um, Lord, I pray for the doctors that you'll just give them wisdom as they're they're treating people who have had heart issues or other bodily issues father Um, I pray for healing for them I also just think of Trevor and his dad who suffered a stroke this week father God I pray that you will give wisdom to the doctors as they treat his father will you please just um, be with their family as as they see uh, what level this is and what extra care is going to be needed just pray that you will wrap them around in your grace and in your love at this time too Lord, I think, for, think of all of those who are suffering because of wars or dis- other diseases or just just financial crisis or just all the things that burden us in this life. Lord, I thank you that we can come to your throne of grace and receive help and mercy in our times of need. And I just pray that you will give them um, comfort, that you will help them to see how you are acting on their behalf and that your care for them isn't limited to anything, and that they can just trust you with the things that are burdening them. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be mindful of those things and give us creative ideas to how to meet the needs of those around us as a way of expressing your love for them. And Lord, as we now turn our minds and our hearts to the word that you have for us today, Lord, I pray that you will just give Preston the words to speak i believe he's speaking today since we're talking about proverbs um, lord i just i thank you for your word and i thank you for the wisdom and the that you give us in your word i pray that we will take it to heart lord and live it out every day of our lives thank you father thank you for the ability and the the the, the honor of being able to serve you as we go through this life Help us to serve you well, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: Good morning, Good morning. Uh, especially for our guests, a reminder: I think most of the home folks know we've been in a study of Proverbs. Um, First half or so is pretty straightforward, we can walk through. The second part has been pretty topical, which is a different style, but we're, we're making our way through it. Today, we're considering what Proverbs has to tell us about our work. Um, most of us listening and uh, listening online or here today. Uh, you're either employed or you're a student. And one of the great blessings of that is that is what has brought you here. You would not be in the Czech Republic, you would not be in Prague, if you're not either working or at least pretending to study, right? So, um, officially you're studying, right? If your parents ask, you're studying, I get it. I I did that once as well. Um, But that's good, that's why you're here today, and we are glad that every one of you are here today, whatever the reason. But as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but reflect on the fact that if it weren't for work and study, most of us would maybe be in our passport countries, wouldn't be here, wouldn't get a chance to be in the same room today, Celebrating the resurrection of Christ, looking ahead to his return. That's a great privilege. Now, I know we have a variety of professions represented at ICP. We have accountants, ballet dancers, basketball players, missionaries, church planters, bankers, library directors. We could go through the whole range, right? Isn't that great? That's awesome. I did an internet search for the weirdest jobs in the world. So... In case you are looking for work, here are some options you might could think about. I just picked three. One is a dog food taster. In this case, a a human tests dog food for taste and texture compared to rival brands. Now, I will confess that as a young child, I I did eat dry dog food, okay? This was by choice. I don't know that my parents knew, although they're probably smarter than I gave them credit for being. I didn't eat the canned kind, that's just gross. But you know, the dry stuff, as a child, that was like a snack for me, right? (laughs) I know that's weird. My cousins would be like, dude, you are gross. And uh, so I thought, you know, if if it doesn't work out in my present day job, maybe I could could, uh, apply to be a dog food taster. But they bring out the can, I'm done, I'm out of there. A second weird job is an odor judge. Odor, as in smell, right? The, the odor judge tests the effectiveness of new products, like deodorants and things by smelling volunteers breath and feet and armpits <laughs> so I, I, I see already a lot of people already googling that one to see where can I apply? Who would not want to do that right <laughs> yeah it 's like being in a yeah, was, yeah, in a really difficult t- uh, Project was involved with, it worked just really hard, and one of my colleagues turned to me and said, you know, we're getting paid for this. And I thought, I know that's meant to be a comfort, so it's all right. So the third in, this, in the list I found, this is actually the top. This is a scuba diving pizza delivery. <laughs> so there is actually an underwater hotel in Florida, and that's one of the services they provide is, they have a scuba diver who will put pizza in a watertight case and deliver it to guests at the hotel. So, Uh, Yeah, so feel free to apply, stay, check that out. Um, Staying in an underwater hotel is, shall we say, not on my bucket list. So I'll be happy just to be buried at the end of it all, (laughs) not worry about it. Um, So most of us have more mainstream jobs. So what I want us to do today is just, as we look at Proverbs together, to think about some principles God gives us for working wisely. We'll talk about why we work, about what we do to prepare for work or in order to work, and then how we should work, what should characterize the work as we work wisely. So first, we'll think about why we work. Now, on the macro level in the big picture, we work because work is the gift of God in creation. God created Adam and Eve. He placed them in a garden. It was the place where they met with God. It was His special dwelling place. And He gave them a task to fill the earth, subdue, and rule it. That is to bring order to everything outside the garden, okay? They also were to work and keep the garden. Those words are also translated serve and guard. They're normally used of the work of priests in the temple. So a part of their work is to maintain the garden in in, kind of like a priest would in the temple, maintain it physically and spiritually um, and to protect it from enemies. So to bring all this together, as Adam and Eve were to bring order to the created world outside the garden, they were extending God's dwelling place, his kingdom, the garden, so to speak, and also making God's name, making God known to other worshipers, that is to their descendants. So they were to fill the earth, that was their goal, to fill the earth with worshipers. Now, from creation, we can conclude that our work has value, okay? God gives us work and it is valuable. Whatever you are doing, It is valuable. Now, it may not be so valuable in the eyes of people, but it is valuable to the Lord. It's important. And the Lord intends all of us under normal circumstances to work. And this includes work for which maybe you're not paid. I think especially of parenting, um, of volunteering, home management, things like that. So you may be involved you may be giving your time to things that there's no financial compensation for, I can assure you there's little financial compensation for parenting, they mostly, you know, take your money and your time and your energy and your sanity by the time you're done. So, but it's worth it, worth it all, right? It's an investment, it's good to see our kids being adults, at least in name, so. um, But he intends us not just to work, but to work wisely. And that means working with him, relying on him, and working in relationship with him and with others. Now, because of creation, we have creative professions like farmers and scientists and architects and developers and artists and all kinds of things that just of people who develop and create, that's an expression of, of the image of God, I think, of the, creati- the incredible creativity of God, but also in the image of God, just the, the, cre- the many creative professions we have. But that's not all, because Adam and Eve's sin radically changed The nature of work, now there's more work. Not only do we have the creative professions, we have other professions. And not only do we work, but we have to work harder to get desired results because of sin. And alongside the creative work is the work of healing and the work of restoring and the work of restraining and protecting. So not only do we need farmers and architects and musicians, we also need funeral directors and policemen and auditors and corrections officers, and all of those things that serve to restrain sin, restore from sin, and help us recover. So working wisely in this age that reflects both creation and fall, it, as we've seen so many times in Proverbs, it starts, it starts with the heart. The wise person desires to do good and translates that good desire into good deeds done in a good way. So that's it on the big picture, the macro level, but on the personal level, we have to ask ourselves, not why do I work, that's, that's answered in creation, but why am I doing this? And in Proverbs, that specifically hits the issue of motives. That's one of the lessons we've seen often in Proverbs, is that we can deceive ourselves. And if we forget this, we're going to make some terrible decisions. So we see in Proverbs chapter 16, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. You can hide motives from people, but you cannot hide your motives from the Lord. Things may seem confusing to you; they are, they are clear to Him. Again, in Proverbs sixteen, verse twenty-five, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. We can rationalize anything; we can talk ourselves into any decision; we can make anything seem right, but the Lord sees through all of that nonsense, and we have to be willing to check our motives and question our motives. Now, we shouldn't be obsessive about this so that we are paralyzed by the least imperfection because we live in a created and fallen world. So imperfection is a part of things. The law of sin is going to be a part of things like like the law of gravity, right? But checking our motives just helps us avoid destructive choices, especially related to work. It's things like greed, uh, things like uh, arrogance that would lead us to to advance ourselves at the expense of, of a colleague, things like that. So checking, or even in career choices, you know, why, why do you make the career choice you do? Is the end of that simply to be wealthy or is there more to it? Is this motivated by greed? Is it? Is there a way to glorify God in what you do? So, and I've already answered all your questions about wealth a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to worry about that today. All right. Thank you for that resounding vote of confidence. <laughs> You're like, what? You talk about that, huh? Missed that one. Slept through that one. All right, so that's why we work. But now let's, let's look at what we do in order to work. So first, we, we make plans. We make wise plans. Working wisely, as with wisdom in other parts of life, it is less about how effectively we execute a task and more about what we desire, what we love, what we want, and how that love or that desire is translated into action, and that requires some thought, some anticipation of the future. So guys, planning is wise. It is not an act of faith to not plan. It is simply wise to anticipate what might happen and try to be prepared for it or to think of this is what I want to see at the end of a day, at the end of a year, at the end of X years, and prepare for that. That's just wisdom. So it says in Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. That's, the idea is blessing there. It may or may not be financial profit, but it, they lead to profit. They lead to reward, blessing. As surely as haste leads to poverty, it's wise to plan. Now, by planning, I mean envisioning a desired outcome, thinking through a path to get there. Pretty simple, Right. Planning begins with the desired outcome, so we understand that we must desire good things in order to plan good things. Most of the things we desire are good, right? We want to provide for our families. We want to prepare for the next phase of life. We want to meet needs with our work. We want to be able to eat. That's all good, right? Those are good things. But we also need to know that there are good things that. Can control us. I doubt any of you are sitting here today and thinking, I am planning to take over the world. I am, (laughs) you know, you're not sitting here coming up with some diabolical plan to destroy your life or someone else's, but just know that good things can destroy you if they become idols, if they become more important, if they, they can control you and consume you. So planning is wise, but we also have to avoid being obsessive about being in control there's a lot of life that we cannot control. As it says, the mind of man plans his way, the Lord directs his steps. I think I've quoted that way too early, but it's one that I've remembered a lot of times as I try to plan and and know the Lord often uh, upsets my trivial pursuit game, shall we say, and redirects me, and that's fine. So there's a lot of life we can't control, but there is enough of life that is predictable. We can make plans, take steps to carry them out, trust the Lord if he redirects. So a wise heart plans good things, right? So we see this in chapter 14. Do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. So again, wise heart desires what is good, plans what is good, carries them out. It reminds me of John Wesley's stated life purpose. Do all the good you can, in all the ways you can, to everyone you can, in every place you can, at all the times you can, with all the zeal you can, as long as you can. So do good, desire good, plan good, live each day, knowing that it is full of God-given opportunities simply to do what is good. Now, not only do we have plans, but we have priorities. A good, wise person, a wise heart makes wise priorities. It's one of the realities of life. You can't do everything you want. So at some point, you have to make choices, right? You know, you can, I mean, sometimes your parents will say, you know, you're special and you can do anything you want. Uh, You know, there was a time when I was going to be an NBA star. And honestly, other than talent, I think I could have made it, right? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Apologies, Addison, to even call myself a basketball player, right? especially when I had this dream when I was short and slow and now I'm even slower, but I'm, I'm tall. So, you know, it just never, never was in the start. The NBA was never going to be in my future, you know, unless I was a, you know, bookie, bookie or something, I don't know. Um, or coach. No, that wasn't going to happen either. We all knew it, right? So we have to make choices. And each of those choices comes with a trade-off. You can do certain things. You can do everything you want to do. You can do some things and many things that you might want to do are within the realm of possibility, but you have to make some choices. You can't do everything. And very few people are good at more than a few things. So we find in, and so just know there's a trade-off with what you choose. So we find in chapter 14, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty but from the strength of an ox comes abundant harvest. Well, what in the world does this have to do with this? Well, simple, okay? If you want a clean manger, you can have a clean manger, okay? There's nothing wrong with having a clean manger, nothing wrong with having a clean garage, right? Okay, but if you want the benefits of the ox, you're gonna have to embrace the mess of the manger, okay? There is a trade-off with every choice you make, okay? You can choose a profession, you can choose to be a physician, and you can know that it's going to be long hours, long hours of education, many hours of, of being on call with the hospital. Karen's brother-in-law is a physician. Many times we've been there, he's called out. He's on call during family time, holidays. That is not a surprise to anyone in that profession. You sign, You know that, right? So just know that whatever choice you make, it's going to involve some mess. It's going to involve some inconvenience and some sacrifice. You have to understand that, and... Have those priorities clear in your mind. So, now let's look at how we work. That is, what are the things that should guide us as we work? First thing is that we, I believe from Proverbs, is that we should work with a gospel-centered understanding of success. So, planning, I mean, sorry, yeah, planning anticipates an outcome. We all want a successful outcome, right? Nobody plans to fail. You've heard the expression, you fail to plan, that's like planning to fail. Okay, that happens, but nobody is, none of you, are, I think, are sitting here thinking, I'm going to plan to fail at something. <laughs> nobody thinks that way, right? Okay, well, a couple of you raise your hands. No, I'm, I'm, you didn't. But uh, that, that's not how we think. But what is success? You know, we could talk about it on one level to say it is the achievement of a goal. Some task is accomplished. That is a success. And yet it is. But we have to understand that success has to be rooted in a trust in the Lord and in his sovereign purpose. So in chapter 19, it says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So our plans, we purpose, we desire, we plan, we go a direction, and yet we have to understand that in our plans, oftentimes, those plans are redirected, and, and we don't succeed in the initial thing what we what we learn is that it is the lord's purpose that prevails. We can trust him in this because a lot of times we make our plans and we, we wrestle is this god's will or not is it god 's will for me to be a physician, architect, musician, whatever you know you have the freedom to make those decisions before God, but you also have to know that the lord's purpose is going to prevail he 's not going. To be frustrated, the Trinity is not going to meet in an emergency session because you choose one profession over another. Okay, so know the Lord's purpose will prevail. It may look initially like it does not. It will, at least ultimately, and often in the execution of plans. This is the verse I mentioned a few minutes ago. The Lord redirects us, redirects us to something better than we planned, even though it may look like a failure to others. So. Again, in chapter 16, verse 9, in their hearts, human plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So we make our plans, and as we make our plans, the Lord establishes our steps. He might redirect. I used to do training for uh, uh, our, our church planters in Eastern Europe, and uh, they would come to Prague. We'd do a, go through a long process, like six months process, doing research and making strategy plans. At the end, they'd come in together in the first day, be in our training room, and I would say, guys, you've done great work, great plans, it's all looks good, you're all going in a good direction, you just need to know that probably none of these plans are going to work. And, you know, I was sitting there like, dude, you just had me working six months on this stuff. I said, right, it's good, it's fine, on paper, it looks good, you're going in a good direction, but you just need to know that you, you move toward this, and the Lord is going to redirect, he's going to do something different, he's going to do something that in the end will be better. But you need to be trusting him and planning and moving forward because that's, that's wisdom. So if the Lord's purpose is ultimate. It will prevail. He redirects us. And if we stay focused on Christ, so for that reason, we stay focused on Christ and on the gospel. Excuse me. <laughs> so meanwhile, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Okay. You hear me, Mike? Okay, still? Good. All right. Thanks. Um. We have to keep the gospel central so that we don't make an idol of our work or of success. And some jobs, like I said about physicians, those are very demanding. They require long hours, sacrifices of time with family. But sometimes people work the long hours and they sacrifice the time with family, not because it's the demands of the job, but because they're obsessed with wealth or they're obsessed with their own importance. They feel like this will not happen unless I do it will not be up to my expectations if I don't do it. And and that really, more often than not, is rooted in pride. So you can work long, hard hours, sacrifice time with your family in order to be successful in the sight of others. Maybe it's just to advance. You may find that you're climbing the ladder of success only to find you've leaned your ladder against the wrong building. And you realize too late the cost of that. There are always Trade-offs. There's a story I heard, provides a great illustration. It's set in Ireland, so apologies ahead of time to everyone from Ireland, I will mispronounce names. I will refrain from trying to do the accent. I'm just gonna give you Louisiana Irish, okay. So the ancient home of the Castlereagh family had been one of the most regal in Ireland, but it fell into decay, it was no longer inhabited. And in time, when peasants wanted to repair a road, build a chimney, they would scavenge stone from the castle. So little by little, stones were disappearing. One day, the the heir to the estate, his name was Lord Londonderry, he visited the castle. When he saw the state of his ancestral home, he was determined to end immediately the the theft of of the stones from the building. So he sent for his agent. He gave orders for the castle to be enclosed with a wall six feet high, six feet tall, well-coped, and this would keep out the trespasser's trespassers and thieves and he went on his way three or four years later he returned to his astonishment the castle was completely gone completely disappeared vanished into the air in its place there was a huge wall enclosing nothing he sent for his agent demanded to know why his orders had not been carried out the agent insisted they had been but where is the castle asked the lord the castle said the agent i built the wall with it my lord Is it right for me to be going miles for materials when the finest stones in Ireland are right beside me?" So he had his wall, but the castle without which the wall was meaningless was gone. And sometimes we give our our time to things. We're building the wall, not realizing that at the end, it is going to be meaningless. You can give your time to advance, give your time to earning wealth, give your times to things that, that have the, have limited value and you sacrifice things that are more valuable, family relationships and, and, and serving the Lord for whatever reason, things like that. So just beware the cost of earthly success. It's not wrong to be in a profession that makes great demands of you. Just know the cost ahead of time, okay? And you have to be intentional to offset that cost and especially in terms of relationships. Now, I believe this is part of why, the, why God instituted the Sabbath at creation. See, so he completed his work of creation in six days. On the seventh day, he rested not because he was tired, but because he wanted to demonstrate something for us. He, he commanded Adam and Eve and, and his people throughout generations to rest, to work six days. And you know, we, we often think about the rest. You know, okay, I need to rest, I need my Sabbath. There is also, you are supposed to work, (laughs) so there's six days. You don't be lazy six days and then take the day off, right? So think about how this looked in that week of creation. He's created the world. He's created Adam and Eve. Come to day six, he's created them. He gives them the task of filling, subduing, and ruling the earth. So the the whole earth is theirs to rule. Now, this is a big job, right? I mean, even if Adam was going to live 930 years, it's a big job. And I wonder if Adam responded, Lord, there's so much to do. We should get started right away. And the Lord responds, no, actually, tomorrow is a day off. (laughs) Adam says, but we haven't worked. That's okay. Tomorrow is a day off. You start work Monday, right? Work follows from rest. We tend to think rest follows work. But if we are ruled by the gospel, work follows rest. Work flows out of rest. If we have come to Christ, we are no longer working for our salvation. Our works suddenly pale in comparison to the finished work of Christ. And so we rest in Christ, and from that we work and we work diligently. The pattern of work and rest is no doubt physically healthy, but the spiritual benefit is it helps us avoid making an idol out of our work, an idol out of success. Taking a break from those, sure, it's, it's good physically, but it also helps us understand the kingdom of God doesn't grind to a halt because I don't give myself to something 24-7. Don't make an idol out of success or out of your work. Another way we should work is with self-discipline. And here we're told to learn from the ant in Proverbs 6. He says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Sluggard's like a really lazy person, in case you're not familiar with that word. In case it's not obvious from <laughs> the meaning, right? Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Anybody wake up with that verse in your mind? It's just a terrible <laughs> guilt trip, right? A little sleep, a little slumber. Any parents ever walk in yelling that to your kids? I might have done that a time or two. When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man." So he says, learn from the ant. So without being told, without having a a boss, a supervisor, some person there watching over it, the ant stores up food for a time in the future when it will be needed. So there's planning, there's preparation. The sluggard, however, does none of this. Little by little, he fails spectacularly at this, and he is in major denial about the consequences. He doesn't think ahead to, you know, if I don't work now, I'm not going to have food later. That doesn't, he just like, oh yeah, I know I should, but no, I'm just gonna rest. I'm just gonna play this game. I'm just gonna do this, that, just, just gonna do something meaningless. I'll do it later. That's, that's what we often do, right? So this is a rebuke of laziness. Now, it's fine to have a hobby, fine to, to play the game, enjoy the entertainment. All of those things in themselves are not wrong. But if they take you away from God-given responsibilities, it becomes a problem. Okay? It's also a rebuke of procrastination. That is putting things off that, that should be embraced in the moment. I'll confess this is an area of struggle for me. Uh, but I do have hope because the 2013 Procrastinators Convention is supposed to meet in Prague this year. Thank you. I wish that was original with me. I only changed the date in the city. But yeah, you get the idea, right? And they may not get around to having it here this year. Probably not. So laziness and procrastination should not rule us. We should be diligent. And that's really the next point. We should work not only with self-discipline, but with diligence. In another rebuke of laziness, Proverbs teaches us that working diligently, working hard, he, they, it's done mostly by means of a contrast in the consequences between diligence and laziness. So, the, the diligent person, their needs are met, the sluggard is never satisfied. So, Proverbs 14 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Think about this the verse about the sluggard. God has ordained our work as the primary means of meeting our needs, our daily needs from day to day. The diligent are satisfied. Not only are their needs met, but they can be generous to others. The sluggard is always restless and never satisfied. So we read in chapter 21, the craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. So you have the picture here someone who's diligent is in a position to share and be generous. That doesn't mean they're wealthy. You don't have to be wealthy to be generous. You have to be sacrificial and not love what you have, Right. But here, the the person who's lazy, the sluggard, he wants more, he craves more, but he will not do what it takes to acquire that. And so he is in a form of of bondage. Now, another consequence of diligence or laziness is that for the diligent, work eventually becomes easier, but for the sluggard, it becomes harder. The diligent work harder in the earlier phases and enjoy an easier time later. The sluggard takes the easy path on the front end, right? No, I'll do it later. I'll rest now. I'm tired. I don't want to do this for whatever reason. And what they find is that the path, more, the path later is more difficult. So we read in chapter 15, the way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. It's a highway because the diligent, the upright person has already worked through his thorns early on when they weren't big and huge and covering the entire road. They tackled a small problem when it was smaller. The sluggard avoids it and then meets a bigger problem down the road. How many times has this happened to you, to me? If if we could have faced a smaller problem or faced a problem earlier when it was smaller, we could have avoided a larger problem later. So often of the case. Another consequence is that the diligent often advance while the sluggard, the lazy, are left behind. So in many cases, work brings opportunity for advance. In a fair circumstances, it's the diligent, not the lazy, who advance. I know there are times when it's the boss's nephew, son, daughter. You know, it's the relative, the friend that advances, has nothing to do with their performance. But in, in a reasonable circumstances, it is the diligent who advance. i told my, my kids as I started working, stay busy. <laughs> just, there's nothing to do, find something to do, clean something, do something, pick up a broom and sweep. just always be working. Your, your boss will notice that. And that's worked out. Them, so it says in chapter twenty-four: diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. So you have a choice: rule, that is, you advance to a place of leadership, or you are the ruled. You are in forced labor, doing things you would prefer, perhaps, not to do. And diligence, working hard, is important not just in our our daily work, but also in relationships. If you are husband or wife or a parent, engage in those relationships diligently, whatever. God has set before you to do, do it diligently. As Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, do it with all your heart for the glory of God. So we also are to work in relationship. So we saw in creation, God, God is in relationship. In the creation story, God said, let us make man in our image. That's an early hint of the Trinity where God consults with himself to make man in his image. And he makes man male and female and gives male and female a task together. So from the beginning, We work in community. We work in relationship. And the command to fill the earth meant there would be more people to be part of the task. Adam and Eve weren't meant to subdue and rule and fill the earth all themselves. They were to procreate. They were to fill the earth with worshipers. They would delegate. Maybe you've heard it said, there's enough time in every day to do what God wants you to do. I'm going to suggest something a little different. I'm quoting a guy named Matt Pearman here. He says, God often gives us more than we can do so that we will learn to encourage other people by delegation. You ever thought about that? (laughs) You think, I've got too much to do. The reason is there is somebody that God wants you to develop and encourage and build up by delegating. Working wisely in relationship means we're open to counsel. Whether it comes from a leader or a peer, someone under us, someone we lead, this reflects humility. as We've seen this several times in Proverbs. The ability to accept counsel and input from others is, is an, a reflection and expression of wisdom. So it says in Proverbs 15, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. This is not true just of those who are at the bottom rung of, of work. It is, not, it is true of, of those at every level of leadership. You have to be open. God gives insight to others that he doesn't give to you. And you will earn the respect of your people that, that you lead by being open, by, by simply listening well. I remember a colleague I listened to, uh, a colleague I, listen, I did listen to him, he was my boss. <laughs> but uh, what, One thing I remember is that he could, I could make a request of him and he, would, he might tell me no, which he did often enough. But as he left, I thought, you know, that was actually a good conversation. I felt heard, <laughs> he listened, he took input from me, but in the end, he did his job making a decision based on the information he had. And uh, I trusted him, still do, miss him, he's not here, that's all right. So I want us to think in terms of working in, in relationship in two directions. One of those who lead us, and then of yourselves as, as leaders. And so we'll come to that in just a moment. So most of us are in this kind of relationship. We, work, we are under the authority of someone, you might be a student, and you're under the authority of a teacher. You may be working under the authority of whatever structures there are in the place you you work. So here's a few things we can glean from Proverbs in this. One, and by the way, most of these verses relate to kings and servants. Now, um, I understand we're not really dealing with a monarchy right now. So I think there's a very easy application to the workplace in this. Not monarchy right now. It's not like we need one, right? So (laughs) I'm not suggesting a change of government. We just had one of those, right? So, working wisely then with those who lead you. First, look out for the interests of those who lead you. Chapter 27 says, The one who guards a fig tree will eat its fruit, and whoever protects their master will be honored. That is, it's in your best interest to look out for the interest of those who lead you. You will benefit from that, and they will, of course. A second thing is to know how to communicate with those who lead you. So it says in chapter 16, anybody read that this morning? The Proverbs challenge, you would read Proverbs 16. That's okay, heathen. So, <laughs> Proverbs 16, verse 14 says, A king's wrath is a messenger of death, but the wise will appease it. So, do you remember the story of Naaman the Syrian? Second Kings, he was a Syrian, he was a warrior, he's a general, very highly respected, but he was a leper and he went to Elisha the prophet. And Elisha the prophet sent a servant out, said, just go dip in the Jordan seven times and you'll be restored. Well, this made Naaman furious because, one, Elijah hadn't come out personally, but also because, you know, our waters back home are better than this, right? And he's furious. But one of his servants speaks wisely to him, just says, you know, settle down. <laughs> you know, if he told you to do something great, you would have done it. You can do this. It's a little thing. And he... This wise servant, whose name we do not know, calms Naaman the general down, and he obeys the instruction, his flesh, his body, is, his health is restored. I believe it led to his conversion to faith in the Lord. So this is what I'm talking about. Those over you, they may or may not be good at controlling their temper, but you as a wise person, you know how to communicate with them and how to help them work through those, those, those points. Okay. Uh, Third thing is to carry yourself with humility rather than with self-promotion. So in chapter 25, these are verses that were quoted by the Lord Jesus. It says, do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among his great men. It's better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. Again, carrying yourself with humility, letting the Lord take care of, of the advance and the exaltation, that tends to work out better. Another thing is to have realistic expectations of leadership. It says in chapter 29, many seek an audience with a ruler, but it is from the Lord that one gets justice. There are times to make requests of those above you, right? But they are humans. They have limited wisdom, limited knowledge, and various motives. But you need to know that the Lord is in control. You don't always get what you want from your leadership, but you also can know that God is in control and he has his ways. He has his timing. He'll work it out. Now, the other, the other direction we think about leadership or about working in a relationship is working wisely with those you lead. That is, this is you in a position of leadership, whether you're a husband, wife, parent, um, dealing with younger siblings, whatever the case may be, usurped leadership. Um, how do we work wisely if we are in a position of leadership? Well, first, you need to remember that the more you advance the wider will be the impact of your actions. So we read in Proverbs 16, the lips of a king speak as an oracle and his mouth does not betray justice. His words carry, as a king, as a leader, his words carry more weight than do the words of others. And in chapter 19, a king's rage is like the roar of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. So there is simply a wider effect because this person is in authority. And you need to know that the more you advance, the greater impact your words and actions have on others. And that means the greater the risk if your judgment becomes impaired. That's why we read in chapter 13, I mean, sorry, chapter 31, the words that were taught to King Lemuel by his mother. In Proverbs 31, it says, It is not for kings, Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer. That's not a statement against wine or beer per se. Look at verse 5. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. So for someone in his position, for his judgment to become impaired, suddenly those for who, whose welfare he should be seeking, he suddenly loses the judgment to act in their best interest. Not suddenly, usually little by little, right? And then if you are leading, lead with integrity. Chapter 17, verse 7 says, Eloquent lips aren't suited to a godless fool. How much worse lying lips to a ruler, right? Again, because you are in leadership, you say things, it has a wider impact. If you betray confidence, if you speak falsehood, if you lie and deceive, that is going to cost you eventually down the road, and, and the consequences will be wider because of the position you have. Then, in leading, be guided by justice. Again, in, in Proverbs 16. Verse twelve: Kings detest wrongdoing, for a throne is established through righteousness. And in Proverbs twenty-eight, like a roaring lion or a charging bear, is a wicked ruler over a helpless people. So, if you're in a place of leadership, position, whether you lead by position or by relationship or or influence in some other way, do this with integrity. Be guided by justice. Do not oppress. Do not misuse the authority that you have. Don't oppress, do wrong, but instead do, do what is right, be guided by justice. Then here's a skill you need if you are leading. You need to learn to read people. Because the more you advance in leadership, the more people will want you to help them. So you need discernment. So We read in chapter 19, many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone's the friend of one who gives gifts. But a ruler has to decide, is this the person I can help? Is this the right situation to help? You've got to make decisions. You need discernment, you need to learn to read people, or in my case, marry someone who can read people, uh, (laughs) because I don't think I'll ever be famous for powers of observation. Well, it's it's qualified. As you might have heard in our home, I can spot a misplaced comment, a footnote of a dissertation, but not a dirty glass on the counter. So, okay, whatever. All right, so you learn to read people. Surround yourself with people of wise character. Chapter 14 says, a king delights in a wise servant, but a shameful servant arouses his fury. Surround yourself with wise people. You don't have all the answers. You don't have everything. You need God intends for you to work in a relationship with people. Surround yourself with wise character. Um, And often what what happens is we tend to advance people and we tend to bring people into our circle based on skills. But let me suggest if you ever have to choose between character and skills, go with character. Skills can be learned. Character is, is much more difficult. When Karen and I moved to Prague, we were doing some uh, training for our colleagues after they'd lived in Eastern Europe for about a year. We'd bring them to Prague. So you can imagine you're living in Siberia or Kosovo and you get the email from Uncle Preston, you just want a free trip to Prague. So I was like the most popular guy <laughs> in our company for a while. So. But one of the things we would do ahead of that is to say, "How is it going with your supervisor?" And, and the most often, the, the response we got most often is, "My my supervisors and typically couples were supervising couples, say they're great people. They love the Lord, they love lost people. They're good evangelists, good church planters, but they are lousy supervisors." And this was this was a, not a character issue. It was a skill issue, and we had to be intentional about developing developing our people because most of my colleagues did not come on with our organization in order to be a supervisor. They came to plant churches, win the loss, make disciples, and then suddenly I've got to evaluate performance and set goals and do all of this administrative things. And it's, it was a challenge for many of our people. So all that to say, if you're choosing between character and skills, focus on character. Advance character because skills, they can be learned. Now, here's the painful part of leadership. Another thing about working in a relationship is many people simply do not do what they should, the people you lead. And that is what Jeff Orge calls the painful side of leadership. So you have to address performance issues sometimes. You had to do that with anyone? You probably have. You don't have to show your hands because the person you're supervising might be in the room, so that's okay. (laughs) But it is one of the most difficult parts of leadership. Now, it's easy to Recognize people's accomplishments, it's easier to reward them for jobs well done. It is much more difficult to sit down with someone and address shortcomings in performance. It's hard, those are hard conversations, right? If you've had to initiate them or if you've been on the receiving end, it's it's hard. You need, as a leader from the person you're leading, you need at least a change of behavior, hopefully a change of attitude. And often this starts with words, right? Here's, here's what's expected. Here's what you're doing. Here's where we need to change. But sometimes it takes more than that. So we read in chapter 29, servants cannot be corrected by mere words. Though they understand, they will not respond. Perhaps you've seen this in the workplace. Maybe you've been on the receiving end. Maybe you've been on the, the giving end of this. You say, we need a change in this. We need you to improve your performance in this way. We need you to do a better job. And they say, right, boss, I got it. Or maybe you say that but nothing happens. <laughs> what happened? Well, something besides words is necessary. Sometimes a word is enough, but sometimes more is necessary. The early church faced a similar situation. Some of the church in Thessalonica had stopped working. So Paul writes to them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. See, they, were not, they had stopped working, but they still wanted to share in the community meals. They're like, Nope. You don't work, you don't eat. So sometimes action, stronger than words is necessary. And you do this, you don't do this as a leader, you don't do this to be vindictive, you don't do this to harm, you do this to help. In fact, in our, our company, we call this corrective action. Isn't that a nice word that sounds positive for a really difficult <laughs> conversation? You know, it's like, yeah, you're about to get a corrective action. So that lets you know, okay, you're doing something wrong, The intent is to correct, it is to bring you back, to bring your performance up to the level that it should be because the reality is you have a job because you're supposed to do something. And that's a reasonable expectation. So as we think about working wisely, let's remember that because of creation, because of the work of Christ, our work is good, work's important, but the first work to do, the first thing is to come to the gospel, to come to Christ. We've been talking about planning and about doing what is good. Let's remember Ephesians 2.10, where it says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God made you his work of art to do what is good, to do things he has planned for you in advance. We can embrace each day as having opportunity for us to simply do what is good. I'd love to get in that habit of saying, Lord, what good do you have prepared for me to do? But it's, it's so don't walk through the day beating yourself up because maybe you missed an opportunity. Just walk through the day open to opportunities to do good. Prayerfully choose the right thing. There are a lot of needs around. We can't meet every need. You don't have to meet every need. But live open to the opportunity to do good for the Lord's sake. But this really only makes sense. That is Ephesians 2.10 only makes sense if we've understood Ephesians 2.8 and 9. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. That is not even the faith is from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one should boast. So the first thing about work we need to know is don't work. (laughs) Put your hope in Christ because as he changes you, he gives you that desire, that motivation, that energy to do what is good. We don't do good works to earn favor from God. We do what is good because of the favor God has shown us, because of his grace, because he has sent Jesus to die and rise again, to forgive us, to set us free, to make us his people, as Paul says in Titus 3, who are zealous, who are eager to do what is good. Not to pay God back. We can't pay him back. It is a response to his love and his goodness, his victory over death. And so this enables us to do, as Paul commanded the Colossians church, whatever you do, work at it, work at it with all your heart, It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So parents, as you're changing diapers and wiping noses, you are serving Christ. Friends, as you go to jobs that are challenging, hard, maybe menial, maybe difficult, you're serving Christ. If you're leading others, you're serving Christ. If you are in the lower parts of the the food chain at, at your work, you are serving Christ. Don't forget that your work is important and it's valuable. It's not ultimate. But it's important and it's valuable because of who Christ is. If you want to know more about what it means to know Christ, please see one of us after the service today. We'd love to point you to him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of work. We thank you for the rewards it brings, the challenges it brings, the the pleasant and painful sides of it. Please help us be faithful with what you ask of us today. Help us not to rely on our work, not put our hope in our work, but to always put our hope in you and to be eager to do what is good. Open our eyes to opportunity and help us be faithful. And most of all, help us cling to you, Jesus, because of who you are. For we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
2: If you'd like to stand and worship with us. This.
0: So as we rise from our places today, um, I pray that we will remember um, what a privilege it is to do what God has called us to do in our various areas of work. Um, And may we seek to honor and glorify him in it. May we go in peace.